Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. It's always wonderful to be here with my New Hope family, as I am most every week, for 27 years. <laughs> Part of our family, you've noticed, is gone today. Pastor Isaac was asked to speak in Sweet Home at an interdenominational sort of setting, which is wonderful. I think he'll do a great job, and what a, what a blessing he will be to them. And Pastor Danya is speaking at Evergreen Church this morning, where they had worked for a while, and where I'm sure they'll welcome her back, just like we'll welcome Corey and Dave back when they come to visit, and they better, right? So... I'm bringing God's word today, and I want you to know that when Pastor Isaac asks me to do this, I take it very, very seriously, and I have prayed for you, and I have prepared, and I want you to expect God to enter your life today in a special way. As we're reading the book, A Creative Minority, we've been learning this summer how to become that community that is stubborn stubbornly united in important and loyal relationships who practice the ways of Jesus for the renewal of the world. And boy, this world needs renewal. Last week, Pastor Chris gave a great message. Remember he said not to put our compass in our pockets, but to take that compass out and avoid all the distractions of the world as we orient our lives to the kingdom of God. So today we're going to further consider what does God's kingdom look like? And how do we actively participate in advancing that kingdom? It doesn't just happen. We have to participate. We pray a prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, from what we just talked about, what's happened this week, it's very clear that we live in a very, very divided kingdom. Earth doesn't look anything like heaven right now. So we need to actively pursue principles of the kingdom, principles like unity, godly authority, and love. And when we do that, we will develop an alternative story to tell to the world. People want to have something good to follow. We need to show them how that looks. We can see by what happened yesterday that our, that our society is very, very divided and polarized, right? The times when people come together across political lines, across racial lines, across religious lines, those are very few. When I think about it, what comes to my mind is that people come together when there's like a tornado or a hurricane, right? People come together in a tragedy. And that's good. I think that's very good. But what about other times? Don't people get together ever just because they want to be united? So when people come that way in a singular vision, for me, it is like a little piece of heaven on earth. For me, that kind of situation happened back in April when six of us went to the Stephen Ministry Conference, there are some of my people, um, back in St. Louis, where we were training to be Stephen ministers. It was in one of those really big conference rooms, you know, those hotels that have like the room, and there were hundreds, hundreds of Jesus followers in the same room. They were from all parts of the country. They were from all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of backgrounds, and from every kind of denomination you can think of. There were Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Catholics, Episcopalians, Methodists, people from non-denominational Bible churches, and we were the charismatic contingent there. All kinds of people there. Now, I don't need to tell you because you know that between those denominations, there is a great deal of disagreement about a great many things. But on that day, in that place, 
there wasn't any debating. There wasn't any arguing because we had come for one reason. We were going to learn to minister to hurting people in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine? All together for one purpose. It's really hard for me to explain to you what a joy it was to experience that. In the kind of climate we live in, we were all there only to advance the kingdom of God on earth through outrageous love. That's why I love Stephen Ministry. And we're just starting that here. Susan brought it to us from her church. And it's all over the world, all over the country, in Canada, many different places. And we're going to be starting the first week of September. Here's my commercial. Commercial break. When are your applications due? August 11th. Correct. We have a nice group already together. We have several married couples. If people want to think about doing that, it'd be kind of like a marriage seminar. The information is so great. Um, but to me, the Stephen ministry is a way to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So I'm wondering, what's, what do you think of when you think of God's kingdom on earth? When have you seen God's kingdom break through where it came and it, and it invaded the icky, crazy world that we live in, and it brought a different picture, a picture of love or peace or unity. So we're going to do something a little different today. I want you all to stand up. Find another person or two at the most, so groups of two or three, and I want you to spend the next few minutes talking about what your idea is of heaven on earth. He gets a turn. Okay, start to wrap it up, everybody.
Okay, so I want you all to remember the groups you were in because we're going to do something again together at the end. Okay? So I have a couple more uh, illustrations as examples of what heaven on earth might look like. So here's the first one. Bob and Sue know this one. This is Calvary Chapel on the beach in Maui. I told Pastor Isaac, we need church field trip, right? We're going, <laughs> right? So several years ago, um, actually many years ago, our youngest kid was probably about 8 or 10, and he's 27 now. We had a chance to take all five of our kids to Maui, and we attended church here on Sunday morning. See, we go to church always. If we're somewhere, we go somewhere else and see what God's people are doing there. All five of our kids were there worshiping in this beautiful place. And my husband Rob said, this is as close to heaven on earth as it gets. All my family worshiping the Lord in his beautiful creation. And his deepest heart's desire, which isn't true at this time yet, is that someday all those children will be with us in heaven worshiping. So another idea. Maybe some of you have this view of heaven on earth. An actual peaceful dinner, right? <laughs> Oh, look at they're all smiling and laughing. We had five kids. Dinners did not look like this, right? I, I call this a Norman Rockwell moment, you know, for that one snapshot of time, everybody's kind of getting along, and it looks really nice, like you're from a TV show in the 50s or something, right? Okay, and, and, and one more picture. Whoa. Andrew, what are you thinking? This isn't heaven on earth. This is war. But remember I said heaven on earth. Heaven won't have war. Heaven won't have tears or illness or sadness. But as we saw so clearly these past few days, the earth is a nuthouse. Now this picture touches me very deeply, and maybe it touches you too. I think that it's precisely when the kingdom of God breaks through the chaos, disorder, and mess going on, that's when we notice it the most, in the midst of turmoil. Anybody who's reading the book, The Creative Minority, remember the cello player playing the cello, playing beautiful music in the midst of a war zone in Sarajevo? It's that kind of thing, bringing beauty, bringing God, bringing love into the most desperate of places. I want to talk a little bit about what it is that makes this so powerful. The first thing I see when I look at that picture is I see this, that stubborn loyalty, that unity, that I'm not going to leave anyone behind. No woman, no man is left behind. I also think this picture portrays a deep, deep sense of authority. Now, I know it's a military picture, but right now, at this moment, it makes absolutely no difference which man is the other's commanding officer, does it? No. I'm talking about the kind of authority that says, when you're in a place where you can't help yourself, you've fallen in a ditch, you can't get up, you, you can't do anything, I will take the authority to serve you, to get you to help. This is the kind of authority we see here. And obviously, this picture is deeply moving because it shows outrageous love. The kind of love that would sacrifice oneself for another, like Pastor Chris just prayed. Jesus was the one who said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's 
friends. When I look at this picture, when you look at this picture, don't you wonder, would I be able to love in this way? But this is the depth of discipleship that Jesus is calling to us to. And even more, as Pastor Chris prayed, to love not just our brother in arms, but to love our enemies. Wow. It's a lot. All summer we've been talking about advancing the kingdom of God by telling a different story to the world around us. Today, we're again going to ask, what will our story be? So we're going to pray before we start. Dear Lord God, we thank you that where we are gathered, your presence is here. Your presence is clearly here today, Lord God. I thank you for that. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and translate my words into each heart so that each person would hear exactly what they need to hear and that your kingdom would advance even in this place of New Hope Foursquare Church. Bless each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first principle we're going to talk about is that if we want to advance the kingdom of God, we have to show unity in a world that's so, so divided. Now, I think we can all agree that that sounds very basic and foundational that the body of Christ should have unity. So why is it that we're so divided amongst ourselves? Well, I think part of the problem is that in the Western world, in our culture, what we think of when we think of unity in the ordinary sense of the word, is pe people get in their mind, people doing stuff together, having things in common. I think there's not a more stunning example of superficial unity in our culture than a stadium full of crazy people shouting for a team, right? It's fun. It's exciting. Nothing wrong with that. It's the 12th man phenomenon. They're going crazy, shouting for their team. Everybody seems like they're united. Don't they? I mean, they're shouting for, the, you know, for their team. But what about when they go home? They're going home. Some of them are going to check their gambling winnings from the game. Some of them are going home to finish their sermon before the next day, right? That's right. And some of them are going home drunk where they'll beat their children because their team lost. So they were unified for a moment, perhaps, but they don't have anything guiding them into unity after they leave. It's just for the game. That's it. We get together for a lot of reasons in ways that we might call unity. We eat foods together that we like. We go play games. We're on maybe a bowling league or a golf outing, all kinds of things. There are, I, I understand people have watch parties for like Game of Thrones, things like that. People, this is fun stuff. But, you know, we're different because, well, we get together once a week at church, so we have unity. Do we? We show up here once a week to a church we like. Do we have unity? Well, unity has clearly been a problem since the early days of the church. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. For some members of Chloe's household, I love how the Bible's so specific. How come people think this is made up, right? Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. 
Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Isaac? No, of course not. So we are part of the church. We're an organized church. I love the body of Christ. I love the organized church. But the divisions have only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger since the early church. So right now when I looked it up, there are about 35 major denominations in the United States. And one other source said that there were about 33,000 separate Christian church organizations in just in our country, right? That doesn't really sound like unity to me. How about you? So we're part of that paradigm, but some stuff you might not know about Foursquare. I didn't grow up Foursquare. My husband did. And my mother-in-law did. But Foursquare actually has some really cool ideas about unity that I would like to share with you. One of the distinctives that makes Foursquare interesting and I think is a good thing for unity is that this church was founded on the principles that we're to have unity in essentials. Jesus was who he said he was. Things like that. Liberty in non-essentials. Have whatever music you like. Things like that. You know, lots of liberty. And in all things charity. I really like that. In fact, the inscription on Angelus Temple when it was dedicated in 1923 says, dedicated unto the cause of interdenominational and worldwide evangelism with Sister Amy there who started our denomination. So you need to know that when Foursquare missionaries go into other countries, they work with indigenous people groups and they work with churches that are already there of what Christian denominations they might be. So I'm just here to tell you that we can't blame our denomination for disunity. But how do we? They're, they're, they're doing everything they can to be part of the body of Christ. How do we as individuals and as part of New Hope Foursquare Church, how do we work towards unity in the kingdom? What is my responsibility in the equation? What is your responsibility in this equation? Well, we can only be in true unity when we're each personally and deeply committed to Jesus. And I'm going to say that one more time because this is the point of the whole thing. Is we can only be in unity when we're each personally and deeply committed to Jesus. We don't develop unity because we have lots of things in common. This is not a club for people who like Jesus. It's not enough to show up every week. It's not good enough that Pastor Isaac is personally and deeply committed to Jesus. Each one of us needs to be, or there can't be any unity. A.W. Tozer said this. I really like this metaphor. Has it ever occurred to you that a hundred pianos, all tuned to the same tuning fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Our one tuning fork is Jesus. I hope he doesn't mind to call them a tuning fork. <laughs> Our one standard is Jesus. Our one king is Jesus. So I want to carry this metaphor a little bit further to push you into what does this mean. When we actually align ourselves to anyone or anything else, we become a clashing note, that horrible dissonant sound in the middle of the church. Think about an orchestra. All the different instruments. People are like the different instruments. What if they were all tuning to a different key? I'm going to go with the key of A. I'm going to go with the key of F. That's not going to sound really good. Have you ever been to an orchestra performance and when they're tuning it's like, ah, 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 right? It sounds terrible. 
until they get on the same note. Oh, and then they're all together. That's the idea I'm after, right? I want to give you an example of, uh, of what does that mean? What do you mean? Okay, we're not playing instruments. So let's decide. We decide to make a political party where we align ourselves. And I don't care which one it is. It wouldn't matter. We're going to lead to discord. Let's say I decide, because I really like C.S. Lewis, thought he was a brilliant writer, great theologian about lots of things, and I decide every day that's what I'm going to read is C.S. Lewis, and I'm not going to read my Bible because I don't need it anymore because C.S. Lewis knew more. Well, pretty soon I'm going to be at division with other people. It doesn't matter that he was godly. No, we can't be following this or this or this. We must all align ourselves only to the king. Do you remember how many times Pastor Isaac showed us that slide about the vertical orientation? Remember that? We must pursue our vertical orientation with the Lord before we can be united to one another horizontally. And when we do this, that brings us already closer to one another. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about the profound truth of this. It implies oneness that can't have a separate existence. You can't exist as a branch on your own and still be part of the kingdom. Now you can branch off if you want. Two things will happen. Either you'll die or you'll start your own kingdom. But you can't be part of the kingdom if you break away from the vine. On the plus side, think about what that means. If so many people are a part of the vine, the possibility of unity among believers, nationwide and even worldwide, could provide such a powerful alternative story. We live in a world of what I've decided to call prideful individualism. You know, it's, it's like that whole thing about, it's all about me, and there's a million commercials that say, just do you, you just do you. Just, you know, if we're all doing you, meaning ourselves, and I'm doing whatever I want, how can that turn out into unity? It can't. So the lie of our culture is that this posture of you do you will result in equality and unity, but the result has actually been greater division, hasn't it? Everybody's doing you, and so we've got this, all these divisions. I'd like to th have you think with me about the unity that the vine, the story of abiding in the vine, creates. When we're all grafted into the same vine, we arrive at unequivocal equality. That's where true equality comes. The kingdom of God is a place where uniqueness can thrive and true equality can be found. Listen to Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. Actually, I would like us to read this together out loud because it's very powerful. Okay? Is that up there? Yep. Okay, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Wow. If only we lived this. That united in Jesus, that is what brings radical equality. Now, we think this is a pretty profound principle if we could even come close to applying it now. But I want you to think with me for a minute what this would have been like during the Roman Empire. It was a time of classes and division, and people were doing crazy, crazy things then. 
Pastor Mark Pfeiffer is a guy I read a bunch, and he has a blog. And I want you to listen to what he said about how this looked during the Roman Empire. When Paul advocated for decency, equality, and social justice within the church, he was advocating a new ethical standard that would pave the way for Western civilization as we know it. Nowhere else in Roman society could a slave sit beside a master and share a meal or enjoy equality. Nowhere else could former prostitutes and wives of Roman dignitaries socialize together without feelings of superiority and inferiority. Only in the church could various social classes and ethnicities intermingle. Wow. That is amazing. Now, I wish, I wish I could say that that kind of unity and equality exists in Christian churches across the nation. But sadly, it does not. I say today, let the story of New Hope Foursquare Church be one where everyone is welcome and everyone is valued as we align ourselves to Jesus. Next, in addition to unity, we also have to show proper authority in a power-hungry world. Power is like everything, sex, money, and power. They're running the world. What is appropriate use of authority and power? Now, anyone who's been in a work environment that has any hierarchy or military understands that there's a chain of command that you go through to get to the person at the top, right? You talk to your medium boss, who talks to your bigger boss, who talks to your vice president, who talks to, right? That's how it works. But in the kingdom of God, we all have equal authority to access the Father through Jesus Christ. Did you ever think about how remarkable that is? Now, how do I know this is true? Ephesians 1.18 tells us, For through him, meaning Jesus, we both, as in Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. And then again, in Ephesians 3.12, it says, In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God, how? With freedom and with confidence. Every single person here. Even the lead pastor does not have more access to God than anyone else. Now he has much greater responsibility than anyone else. But each person here can access the king with whatever needs they have. That's amazing. But think about it. If we all have equal access, how, how is that going to work? What, how is that going to be? Well, it can only work appropriately in the military or in the kingdom of God if some principles are in place. And one of those, which you see in the military, there has to be obedience. It has to be complete. It has to be total obedience to the king. And there also has to be a moral grounding and an understanding that the person in authority will choose what is best for the kingdom and not what is best for him or herself, right? This is military commanders choose all the time things that get them in trouble, you know, will sacrifice their lives for the lives of their, for their uh, people in their company. So as believers, we need to remember that even though we have unlimited access to the king, ultimately... We are still servants of the king and therefore servants to one another. This servant type of authority that Jesus models so beautifully is often played out simply by bringing others to the king. I use my authority to bring someone else. Remember the picture, the soldier carrying his brother in arms to safety? That is what we do. This is illustrated so beautifully in Luke chapter 5 
And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. These friends took authority over the man's situation. They didn't have power, but they knew who had the power, and they had access to the power, and when they didn't, they found a way to bring their friend to King Jesus, who not only forgave the man's sins, but told him to get up and walk. I want to tell you, that the access to the power of the king is exactly what differentiates humanitarian organizations from the church, from the body of Christ. When humanitarian organizations go to a country, they pass out clothing, food, things like that, and that is good. But as Alan and Tanji know, I went on a mission trip to Thailand with them we came with the power to access the king. And we saw many, many, many people healed, instantly healed, who were Buddhist people who did not have that same access to the king. We brought the king with us. Listen to one of my favorite scriptures. It hangs on a refrigerator, and I remind my children of it often. It says this in Ephesians 1, verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. Why does that matter? Because we bring people to the king. People brought me to the king. And here's, I'm going to lose it. Thousands of times. I see them. My husband. My friends. They brought me. I was sick for ten and a half years. I couldn't walk right. I couldn't talk right. I had to use a wheelchair a great deal of the time. And repeatedly, repeatedly, they brought me to the king. Six years ago, on August 3rd, 2013, I was in a wheelchair. My husband carried me to the car. I saw many, many, many doctors. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I did everything that humans could do. They couldn't do it. And on August 4th, 2013, six years ago today, it was a Sunday. Pastor A brought a movie called Father of Lights, and I thought about this yesterday as I was praying and preparing. You know what that movie is about? It's about the kingdom of God. It's about heaven come to earth. It's example after example of healing and, and wholeness and people restored and hearts restored. And as I was full of the kingdom of God, when I went home that day, I was worshiping the Lord, saying, God, you're amazing. What you can do, take this. And he healed me, and here I stand today. Every year when this day rolls around, like I said, it's six years that I can walk right, talk right, why I'm able to do this is because the king healed me in an instant. And I believe it's because people brought me over and over and over and over before him. The final prayer was just take this. I mean, literally, just a sentence. So if you think there's magical prayers, no, just cry out to God. Who's been praying for Joyce Ash? Anybody in here? Many of us. Joyce is someone in our congregation who was diagnosed with cancer a couple months ago with a very rare kind of lymphoma. 
And she said, I could tell you when I forgot first service and I was kicking myself. She had a PET scan this week. There's nothing there. It's gone. Yes. So we've seen that unity in the kingdom is important to show a different story. And we've seen that taking authority, taking authority that serves is important in the kingdom. But we must, we must also demonstrate outrageous love. That's the thing that makes the difference. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, think about it. He's at the Last Supper. He knows what's coming. Time is running out. He's giving his final instructions to his disciples. Listen to what he says. In John verse 13, he says, or chapter 13, he says this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You think it was important? He repeated it a real lot. And from there, he went to the cross. So love one another got even bigger. And this is where we get the saying, the song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Do a million good things, it doesn't matter if you don't do them in a loving way. 1 Corinthians 13, very famous verse, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If we go back to our tuning fork metaphor, without tuning to the love of Jesus, we won't make a beautiful melody. I'm afraid that there are many churches in our country today that do some good things, but they're so strident in their opposition to things that people don't notice. They can't hear it because the love isn't the first thing. The love needs to be at the top. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book about the rise of Christianity and how the church grew. How did the early church come to be? And he said that a large part of it was that the people in the early church were willing to care for marginalized people. For example, they would have an epidemic of some sort of deadly illness would sweep through the Roman Empire, and the pagans would run for the hills, and the Christians would stay. They would stay at risk of their own lives, which I'm sure they often lost. And many, many people converted to Christianity. Now, I imagine in the next couple days, we're going to hear many stories of what happened these past couple days with the shootings, and we will hear those stories where people threw themselves down on top of someone, ran in front of someone. I'm certain that people sacrificed their lives for others. But in general, is that what's happening today? Christian churches look so different that people are just flocking in. Is that what's happening? No. People are not flocking to Christian churches, I'm sad to say. Now, there are lots of good organizations doing many, many wonderful things. We went to Foursquare Convention. If you ever want to be uplifted, go hear what's happening. They're doing wonderful things for the homeless, all kinds of projects with schools and things like that. But there's, there's not enough. Not yet. Philip Yancey, another one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called What's So Amazing Grace. And a lot of the book is about how we don't have enough grace for people to see that God offers grace for people to be drawn to us. When people are asked the, Christ, the question, you know, what do you think of when I say evangelical Christian, they say words like bigot what? That's not, that's not who, what? No. We need them to say we are people of love. Anyway, in this book, he talks about how he had a friend who was a counselor who worked with down and out people in Chicago. And with this friend, 
was speaking one time to a woman. She was homeless, she was addicted, and she was a prostitute. So he asked her, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, going to a church to find help? She responded dramatically. Here's what this man said about his encounter. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. Oh, does that, does that get you? That, that makes me sad. Yet remember that women very much like this woman. They ran towards Jesus. They saw him as a refuge of love and grace. Don't we want that to be said of us? We want New Hope Foursquare Church to be more than just a checkbox on the calendar. It shouldn't just be, oh, you know, the music was good and the sermon was pretty good and then I went home. That's just like going to a football game, right? Listen to this quote. I really, really like this. That's not what we don't want it to be. What do we want it to be? What should it be? The church should be an island of kingdom culture where among the lives of its members, heaven touches earth. Wow. As we're learning to be that committed covenant community that we're talking about, there are so many ways to serve people here, to love people, to be in unity. Can I just say, Dave and Corey are leaving, so can like 20 of you sign up to take their place? <laughs> right. No, really, they're really involved in the children's ministry. Children are so important. If God's drawing your heart today, please sign up for that because they're going to leave a gaping hole in that ministry. But we have Alpha, we have Rooted, we have Coffee Team, we have Ushers, we have all kinds of food pantry. What an amazing way to reach people who, who most of them don't go to church. Go out there, offer to help, offer to cook if you like to cook, right? And of course... There's Stephen Ministry, my personal favorite, which is just an amazing way to love people with the love of Jesus. I want you to watch this video clip about how one woman's life was changed through radical love from her Stephen Minister. After having had a Stephen Minister, my life is unbelievably different. It's, I think the biggest way it's different is that I feel connected with God in a way that I never felt before. I, I really felt like, you know, I was doing well, but I didn't realize what a barrier my issues were. Because, partially because I, hadn't, I didn't want to share them with another person. And not only did I not want to share them with another person, I, didn't, I guess I didn't want to share them with God. Even if you know intellectually that God is there, Sometimes it feels like it doesn't matter because there's no one there to help you. And I think Stephen Ministry is a way to actually see help right in front of you. And so seeing, receiving care from her began the process of me being able to receive care from God. So to have that one person who had signed on to listen and not to judge me it felt safer um, than burdening friends who could run, you know, it might be too much. Or family members who might feel guilty that it was their fault. So my Stephen minister, she's just such a sweet lady. <laughs> she's so sweet. Uh, and she's, she's extremely caring. And everything seems to sort of get calm when, when she speaks. Because I think there's a lot of love 
in her voice, in our interactions, is a lot of love then. When I felt like maybe God couldn't do something in my situation, she reminded me that he could. And when I felt unlovable and that maybe God was powerful enough, but I was too weak, she kept believing. So at least one of us had faith, even though a lot of times it wasn't me. There was always faith for my situation present there. Stephen ministry to me means not having to be alone. I don't think I really knew how to trust people before Stephen ministry. So that was an opportunity to learn that. I know what I was like before, and I know what I'm like after, and I know there was Stephen ministry in between, and so I know that made a difference. It made a huge difference. So you can hear how just loving someone and listening to them can make a difference. Now, I, I do want you to get involved. Each person, if each person got involved in one thing here, wow, couldn't we touch so many lives. But you have to sign up and you have to do things. But right now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to all stand up again. And we're going to get back into those groups we were in before. Now, I've told you many ways where bringing people to the king has made a difference, a profound difference. I want you right now, right here in this people, in this place, to take the people near you, not, not waiting, but going to the king in prayer with each other. You don't need a pastor. You don't need somebody special. You don't need fancy words. Just bring people to the king. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for healing. Many marriages have been restored here. Addictions have been broken. There's nothing you can't ask for that the king does not have power to overcome. So we're going to take about five minutes while the worship team comes. And I'd like you to really be bold. Be bold in asking for one another during this time of prayer. Spill out into the front, on the sides, anywhere you want to go. Use the room in any way you would like. 